Hi, it's another We're Not Wizards Presents episode, and today we've got our mortal enemies, Quackalope. Because sometimes you've got to stare your enemies right into their cold, duck-like eyes and say, Yeah, I'll host your podcast, but only the ones you hear. So if you like what you listen to, click on the show notes and make sure to leave them at least a two-star review on iTunes, pretty much. And now, on with the show. From the Quackalope Network headquarters, this is the Weekly Quack with Board Game Co., your ultimate source for what's happening around the board game pond. In this week's installment, we discuss if being bad really does feel good if Kowalt is an Azul killer and we fight against our primal urges. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Weekly Quack. I'm one of your hosts, Jam Bigas, and with me is Alexander Radcliffe and Jesse Anderson. How are you doing today, I guys? I'm doing good. Feeling a little run over by a bunch of ducks quacking around, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Hey, Jan, the duck army is uh, is growing and growing strong. I have to say- Quack, quack, quack. I, I, I do have to say, Alex- it's a shame you haven't been able to keep up with the uh, the comments on your most recent videos. I I honestly thought you'd be better to my community than that, but that's okay. Oh, that's I'm okay. doing my heart. I'm I'm doing what I can. It is hard. I know it's hard for you to identify with the kind of popularity that 4,500 quacks on a video does. It's hard. It's <laughs> I'm a, I'm a popular guy. I just you know it's I try to keep up with my my, my ducks, but I do what I can. I can barely hear your words through the muffled sound of voice coming through a pile of feathers. Quack, quack, quack. It is insane. <laughs> it is absolutely insane. But I, listen, I'm up for the challenge. I am. Alex, I think we had agreed that you would be setting up the table today for Shelf or Sell. I am happy to set up the table. I'm happy to do what I can to brush that glitter. Glitter never goes away, unfortunately. Glitter never no, goes I, away. No, I have a little bit still on my chair, if I'm going to be honest. Now, Alex, I do- it's part of me. I do appreciate the orchids. I thought that- I think that's a really nice touch, if I'm going to be honest. It, it's more to really just hide whatever's left. The problem is when you have an empty table and all you see is that little bit of glitter reflecting the light, it's just too much. You need something to distract from the glitter, and had I known you were sending in all this ducks, I wouldn't have worried about it, but I, I thought I'd bring in something, something to the table. Here's here's the thing. I Now, I do have to put the caveat on that. I appreciate the orchids. I appreciate the multiple colors of orchids. The only issue is why are there 36 of them? Because it's a good round number. You buy things in dozens. No, we're it could have been have 12, to, it could have been 24, we, it could have been 36. Right, look, which, Jan, what number would you not have questioned? <sighs> I, well, I'm going to need a little bit more room on the table. So, Jan, go ahead and get your game up here for the shelf or sell. I'm going to start getting at least 16 of these orchid pots off of the table so that, we can, so that we can actually have room to discuss what's going on here. Be careful because those are beautiful, Jesse. Uh, no, I'll put them very carefully. <laughs> Today, gentlemen, I am bringing... Marvel Villainous. So this is a pretty recent one, uh, designed by the Prospero Hall team and then picked up by another by another series of publishers. So Marvel Villainous is an action selection and hand management game where two to four players are trying to compete their own unique win condition first. In it, players will become an iconic Marvel villain. 
Each villain is going to follow a unique path to victory, each using different abilities to face each other and unique challenges as well. In the game, players are moving their villains across a very limited tableau um, to different locations within that domain, and they carry out actions based on where they land. What makes Marvel Villainous unique to its predecessor is that besides the theme change, it also has a shared fate deck, which is completely different from the first one, and they added a new ability, which are called specialty cards, that add a little bit of a villain's ability, making them even more formidable. So, Sender. This has become one of my favorite games of the show. Why is Jan getting rid of this game? Let's bring it to the table. Now, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with Disney Villainous. I have played that multiple times, and I have not bothered to own it. Uh, that being said, what's your take, Sender? Because I am intrigued as to because last time he tricked us. So that's my problem. My problem is I want to walk in with the certainty. I want to walk in bringing the fire and the thunder and and calling out yes. what he's doing. But it's been a tough week for me. Last week, I was wrong horribly. Then throughout the week, <laughs> yep. I've been flooded. I barely had time to do smothered anything by else. Ducks. Smothered by ducks. So I don't like, again, I'm, I'm with you. Instinctively, I want to bring down that thunder, but there's only so many times I can do it and be wrong before it's a problem. I'll tell you my thought. I don't think Jan is a Disney fan. I think he is, however, a superhero and specifically supervillain fan. And so my sense is... This is going to be one he's planning or has already added to his shelf for the time being. Do I think it'll remain there perpetually? I disagree. I don't think so. But I think he's he's bringing it in. So less certainty. Less certainty than you have by far. But I too have played Disney Villainous. And while I think it has a great spot for the target audience, and while I think it is a game for the right people... I've yet to perfect see perfect mass market game. Perfect mass market game, and I think Marvel Villainous falls into the same category. I haven't played it, but I can't imagine it's adding that much more to what Disney Villainous did. And I just don't know Jan as someone who keeps games like this. I find he he's pulled them by the promise. He sees the game, he hits buy within thirty seconds, then he plays it. He's sure. let down, and it's it's okay. It's good. But again, I'm not I... willing to double down on it this week because I was wrong, horribly wrong last week. <laughs> I, I can't say that I disagree with you. My only thought would be that maybe, maybe the th- the theme swings it for him and his partner, uh, for his wife, but uh, that that alone may not be a strong enough argument. I'm a theme person. Jan Jan is not. And with that being said, we've played our game. Jan, can we, what, uh, can we just rename this entire podcast to What's Jan Doing This Week? I'd be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> At least this segment. That seems reasonable. So go ahead, John. Guys, I got to say, I got to say, I feel so very flattered that you have decided to talk about me and my feelings and, and, and thoughts for almost two minutes now. I, I loved every second well, of it. Thank you so very much. It's at least better than you talking about your own feelings and thoughts. <laughs> well, wow, Jesse. Thank you for that. And now the drum roll, please. Let's see who was right. And I am selling yes. this. I yes. don't want it in my collection. I thought it was an incredibly superficial game. The tides are turning for me. Oh, this is not good because next week I'm going to bring the thunder again now that I was right. <laughs> the amount of tension in this podcast is palpable, Sender. It's great. It's, it's crazy how much Sender already knows everything that I think uh, before I even say it. I, I don't... Am I... Am I Am I an open no, book? No, no. Last week I was wrong. I was wrong last week. I, 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 
I, you all in game preference are a lot closer than Jan and I are almost intrinsically opposite. So I should have went with the opposite of my own inclination. But Jan, tell us about this game. What's going on here? Have you played Disney? What does Marvel do different, if anything? And why are you getting rid of it? Uh, so I had played Marvel villain. I had played Disney villainous originally at my friend's house, and I thought it was an enjoyable game. But that was months ago, and the only thing that I remembered was that oh, that was a neat puzzle to solve. I wonder if Marvel, which is you were right on this, is a theme that I cater a little bit more to, that I'm more partial to. Probably that's something that I can enjoy, and I have a little bit of a introductory game that I can introduce to my friends when they're coming over, etc. Um, what I had forgotten about my first experience with the villainous system is that it's a one-and-done type of game. Every time you access a new type of villain, once you figure out the formula, it's all about just pushing through to make it to that win condition, and there's no variance in between, of course. Other players can hamper your ability to move forward, but the steps that you are taking are exactly the same. It's the type of game that technically can play itself, and I despise that, but I completely forgot about that detail. So when I bought Marvel Villainous, under the guise that it was going to bring something completely fresh or a little bit different, I discovered that not much actually changed. They added two new things. So before... I think everybody had different consequence decks, which is technically called fates here, but consequences makes more sense in this for this podcast. And those were cards that you can play on top of other players' tableau to try and impede their progression. Now it's a shared deck. So you can, as you're drawing, you can draw a card that's incredibly powerful against another villain or particularly powerful against you. And in addition to that, there's now things called events, which are kind of shared situations that everybody has to deal with. Then finally, you have the specialty cards, which is almost like a new addition to your tableau, which gives you passive actions depending on who you're using. But overall, I still had the exact same issue where I yeah. played a character, I figured it out, and I was completely I, bored out of my mind afterwards. I mean, my and my strong inclination when I saw when I saw this adaptation was first off. Oh, smart of them, because this is going to sell like hotcakes and it is a perfect mass market game and I still don't need to own it. And I'm not that interested in playing it because I have played Disney. And while I enjoyed the play, I didn't I mean, I didn't go out and want it. I, I haven't I haven't wanted to own it since then. Yeah. And I'm happy um, speaking for myself. I'm happy both these games exist. I think they straddle that middle line yeah, perfectly. Of, absolutely. Of bringing people into the hobby, adding game mechanics that that really do add something else above what you can expect from a Disney or Marvel title. And yet they're not 100 percent. And that's totally fine. They don't have to be for me. They are perfect for who they are for. That's one of the things that I think is actually remarkable about what Prospero Hall has done here is that they executed a good game from an IP and, and from a, a mass market media source that probably shouldn't result in a good game. Now, is it a game that I want to own? Is it a game that I am excited to get back to the table? No, but it doesn't have to be. It has to be, and the way it's positioned itself is that it's a game that's going to bring people into this hobby. And in terms of doing that, uh, hats off and and all the quacks over to Prospero because they're doing a fantastic job at bringing people into this space. Yeah, and to be clear, this is published by Ravensburger. I forgot to mention that um, as I was describing and designed by Prospero Hall. However, there's something interesting about Marvel Villainous that I think we should mention here. 
This wasn't entirely designed by Prospero Hall. When Prospero Hall was acquired by Funko, um, they had to completely change teams. So the game was majorly completed, but I do think that a new design team came in and maybe swapped things a, a little All, bit. The only reference I have is really from that core system, and it sounds like this Marvel variation is, is working off that core system. I, I do have to say that while I think marketing-wise, it's smart to go down the Marvel route. For me, it actually lessens or weakens the IP from a uh, desire-to-own standpoint or from a, from a uh, I like having this on my shelf standpoint. I Why? liked it as a Disney-specific thing. I, I just don't... I don't love bridging over. I understand it from a mass market sense of things, but just a weird thing with me is I don't I don't like bridging over multiple different villain types and IPs and having all of those be able to be integrated with each other. I don't need so, I don't need a villain from Marvel playing against my favorite Disney. I, I don't IP. think that happens here. Maybe I'm okay, wrong. So I don't think these cross. Correct. Correct. They, they there was no cross play here. They were completely separate I thought there franchises. Was. Interesting. Mm -mm. Like you could do it, you could play it, but I feel that the Disney characters in particular would be underpowered um, because they don't have specialty cards. They don't have things that can kind of stack up and stay with you throughout the entire game. It's, it's It feels the games are incredibly similar, but those small little changes do affect uh, cross compatibility. I, I still don't like the crossover. So so what I would say for you, for, for your point, Jesse, is that one thing that I do find fascinating about the Disney variant is that there's a lot more imagination at play. Like in the Marvel system, everybody has their power set. Everybody has their, their plot line set. Everything is so, it's, it's already there. It's already created. However, with Disney, um, like they made Pete into a villain uh, that had an entire story arc within this game, which I thought was really interesting. And they did that for a lot of other characters and gave them special powers that weren't as obvious as maybe these in Marvel were. So in that sense, I completely agree with you uh, that the Disney the Disney version of Villainous is a little bit more appealing um, overall. So, so with all that said, Jesse, I don't know if you're done with those orchids over there, if you've finished I, that off. I've removed, sorry, I'm on the 16th now. Let me go ahead and get it down onto the floor. I think I've cleared enough room. Uh, Jan's game didn't take up much space, but I have a feeling this is going to get heavier and heavier as we go. Sender, what did you bring? So I brought something that is definitely, it depends how you define it. It's actually a small box, not a lot going on here. But if you're talking about game weight, if you're talking about how complex this game is, this is Robinson Crusoe Adventures on the Cursed Island. Whoa. And it is you a brought beast Robinson of a Crusoe? I did. You're going to create some enemies here. Well, maybe, maybe not. Who really knows? Because what am I doing with this I'm game? I'm assuming immediately you're getting rid of this game. You could be right. You could be wrong, Jan. I think it's I think it's too much for you get, for you to get to the table. That's my assumption. So so here's here's my take. I feel that Alex liked the game. I, I thought I think he thought it was fine. It did a few things that were interesting, but he has better co-ops in his library, and he doesn't enjoy the harshness of this, this one in particular. This is not a co-op game. Sender, go ahead and set up. What is Robinson Crusoe? Sure. So Robinson Crusoe is a game that it's in a you're you're on an island. It is a it is. I'm a little confused because it is a co-op game. I mean, it's a solo slash yeah, co-op. Yeah, exactly. What are you talking about, Jesse? This is a solo game. So it's a solo slash co-op game that oh is rated gosh. It's rated equally well with one and three players. So you're both right if you want to go down that road. But granted, I will acknowledge <laughs> that when I was reading the rulebook and getting a look at this game and getting a feel for it, I was definitely planning on it as a solo experience. It's famous in the solo community. For but, sure. I mean, that's, that's the stance 100%. I'm taking. 100%. It, it is well known as... 
it is well known as a game that like more often is executed and manageable as a solo experience because it's a lot going on here now in robinson you're going to be you're going to build a a shelter weapons create tools you're trying to survive in an island you're going to take on roles of one of the four characters from the ship crew you're going to use your skills to help everyone and search for treasures search for treasures discover mysteries ultimately try to survive and trying to survive is what this game is known for this game is punishing it is hard it is a game that doesn't let you breathe while it constantly tries to smother you under quacks under lots and lots of quacks but no not quacks under the game itself (laughs) the game is complicated and hard to win and i was actually a little surprised that you guessed so accurately jesse because i expected a little bit of flack from you guys because you're right i haven't played this and this i think is the first game on shelf or sell that i am getting rid of or any of us are getting rid of without even having played it i i felt like that was the answer the reason being I still have a shrink-wrapped copy of Robinson Crusoe waiting for me to play it. <laughs> I am not, in fact, getting rid of it until I've got it to the table at least a few times. Granted, probably never, ever. That being said, I felt from my own experience with this game that that barrier to that barrier to entry was high enough that you just didn't have the time for it. So I would say it's not that I didn't have the time, but rather I am heavily into priority priorities. I'm heavily into saying, you know what? I want to play Robinson. I do. But I've read half the rulebook. And I every time I look at it on the shelf, I realize that there are other games I want to play more, both games I own and love, as well as mm-hmm. new games that are less of a barrier to entry. If I want a punishing, heavy solo game that is meaty and gives you a lot of options, I have Mage Knight already. I have Seventh Continent. All the Seventh Continent's not heavy, but it's I have experiences that I want to play more than Robinson. And while I've held on to Robinson for so long, it, it came to a point where I realized that at a certain point, you have to say goodbye. It will go on a list. I have a special magical list where I lie to myself and tell myself I'll get a game back. And sometimes I actually do, but it makes saying goodbye a little easier. That that would make an excellent bonus episode. So what you're saying is that we were both right, because I also guessed the exact same thing in terms yes. of reasoning. Yes. So you're uh-huh. right. Part of why this one is lower on my list is because of the punishing aspects of the game. And while I've heard a million good things about this game and it's in the top 100 on Board Game Geek, I tend to not like games that are punishing. I don't mind losing more than I win, but I don't like games that are punishing. And let's lean into that a little bit, because for those of you listening, I, I don't think we should scare you away from Robinson Crusoe without the caveat of saying this is... As far as I can see, one of the best island survival games that exist out there, and one of the things that it does that that people find so rewarding is that it provides new scenarios for you to explore. Are you trying to rescue someone? Are you trying to gather enough food and resources, build a hut, explore the island, get off the island? All the things that you think you might try to accomplish, and as a solo player... As someone that wants a punishing hard puzzle that'll continue challenging you both with strategy and some randomization, I will acknowledge that there is a degree of just uh, perpetual failure. How did I describe it in the Kingdom Death thing? I I think like uh, cascading (laughs) failure that certainly exists in this Mm -hmm. game. That is also one of the reasons why solo players gravitate back to it. This is a game that is smart about the way it presents its storyline, its mechanics, and its challenge. And if you're able to get it to the table, if you're interested in it and not scared off by the fact that it is a beefy game and that rulebook is a slog to get through... I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Not at all. It's in the top 100 of Board Game Geek. I don't think you can ever be disappointed by something like that. So, unsurprisingly enough... I actually own this as well. Part and, and this is it's interesting because I actually got this when I was fairly 
So wait, getting into the more heavy. All week. three of us have owned it. Have any of us yes. played it? I did. Ooh. I did play, but it's been so long ago that everything I say will be inaccurate. But that's I'll not try. Different than anything else. Yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> pretty standard. Uh, I I played this with around. I think it was three players, and it was it was exactly what it's uh, printed on the box. It was incredibly challenging. I think we lost about two times. Like we lost probably three turns in and then we tried it again and then we lost six or seven turns in it never ended up well for us but i remember that the system itself was interesting just not one that i wanted to revisit again and again and again um i'm trying to remember i think there was a lot of card play and each each scenario sets up new mechanics and new new ways that you're interacting with the game state that's also another rewarding feature here and and one thing that i don't know if this actually makes sense or not but just looking at it again and kind of reminding myself of that experience that i went through this sort of has like a compressed seven continent feel in the sense that you're trying to survive in an island you're trying to gather resources as you go you're also exploring said island trying to uncover new sets and new areas to explore and you also have random events that could potentially trigger your demise or give you some type of boon. Well, but it's compelling because I think the mystery and exploration in Seventh Continent's a little bit a little bit broader, but this mm-hmm. is going to be a deeper and more more compelling mechanical and solo experience. But both of them, both of them I want to play as a solo player across the board. And Sender, even though it's going on to his sweet little list of nothings, will never get this game <laughs> back into his collection. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. But I, I will say is that the, the, you went on a little monologue there but about the promise of this game. And even as you were saying it, I was reminded why I want to keep it. I was like, gosh darn it, this guy is convincing me <laughs> on the episode. This is not good. But I agree with you. I, 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 there's a promise here that makes me put it on a list instead of just going into an empty void. But granted, yeah. there are new games coming out every single year. And that list just gets bigger every single year. Do I think you'll try it? I, I think you really will. I think you'll find someone that knows the systems and the mechanics and you'll sit down and probably have a good play experience. But I, I don't see you I don't see it coming back onto your shelf, even though it's on that list of nothings. That being said, guys, let me get my game up here into the table. We have about ten orchids left. Leave the yellow ones. That's about six, I think. Yeah. Get the other four. If you could just clear a little bit more room, that'd be fantastic. Sure, sure. Sender, I do have to say that this is the best smelling game night we've ever had anything is better than last week true Uh, look i i love i love some good flowers you have you're a man of taste you're a man of taste so i've moved the last orchid off the table you have some some room here go ahead jesse thank you thank you i am bringing in it's actually not that big of a game i just i just kind of wanted to set up uh, a very clear table so we could discuss (laughs) it i'm bringing in a a game from 2018 called Gugong. Ooh, Google. Ah, I remember this, is another this game one. myself that I haven't played yet. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be fun to talk about. Oh, and sorry, Sender. I I also happen to be bringing in a few other titles. I'm also bringing in Massive Darkness One, Rum and Bones, Charterstone, The Arena, of The Contest, Pendulum, Taverns. What? Of are okay, you wait, 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 Root Sorcerer. No. And what are you saying? I do you see them all? Do you see them all, Sender? That is why you're surrounded by ducks. Oh my gosh, is this your giveaway horde? I am finally getting rid of games. You challenged me multiple times, and oh. I... Now, granted, I'm not selling them, no, but I no, did tell cool. you I like to give things away. I said I said in the episode that giveaway counts. Did you, did you mention Fort? Oh, sure. It's a hot game right now. I can always get another copy. But you still have a copy, right? Well, sure, of course. I have... Now, Why let are me, you laughing? Let me be clear. I, I have a copy of Root Sorcerer, Fort, uh, Charterstone, 
Uh, so I've I've got a I, I still have a second copy of fifty percent. So of these. to be clear, in shelf or sell, you're finally well not selling, but you're finally getting rid of a whole bunch of games here. I I am in fact getting rid of a whole bunch of games specifically to 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 finally to finally show you how a giveaway is supposed to be done, my friend. You you only get to talk about one though, Jesse. You chose Gugon. But I'm very proud of you, though. I like good job. I just look. I wanted to. I wanted to bring everything in. Show Sender what he's up against. Display the wealth of games that my community, all my ducks, will get. And the dream, the dream in the back of my mind, just to specify, Sender, is that one of my many ducks wins your giveaway of Massive Darkness too. You recognize, by the way, there are no winners in this war. I mean, there are winners. The winners are the audience. But you recognize I have a warehouse with 10,000 games in it, right? Uh, I hear what you're saying. That sounds like an incredible giveaway. I hear what you're saying. That's going to be a fantastic giveaway. I'm just saying there's an escalation here. (laughs) There's a tree. There are winners. They're just not you and I. So with, with all that being said... Let, let's go ahead and dive into, I had to bring in a little bit of the drama, but let's go ahead and dive into the <laughs> game that I officially brought in. But before we get there, considering Sender is still currently surrounded by quacks that are spreading across all of his social oh, media no. platforms, let's have a moment. Uh, let's have oh. a foul moment. Did you know all ducks are highly water have highly waterproof feathers? A duck's feathers are so waterproof that even when a duck dives underwater, the downy underlayer of the feathers right next to the skin will stay completely dry. That is beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Wow. Who would have thunk that a creature that lives in water is mostly waterproof? <laughs> I know I wouldn't. That being said, uh, Gugong, Gugong is the game that I wanted to bring in and talk about this time. Gugong is a worker placement, set collection, and hand management game. You're the head of a powerful Chinese family during the Ming Dynasty, doing your best to court favor with the crown by taking actions and presenting gifts to the throne. Throughout the game, you'll be using and drawing gift cards of increasing value. Each action you take will require you to place one of these gifts on the main board with a more precious lower number card. The balance restricts your future actions and becomes the cornerstone of the gameplay. To win the game, you will travel around China, sail down the Grand Canal, purchase precious jade, help construct the Great Wall, secure advantages through, through decrees, influence the game through intrigue, and ultimately receive an audience with the Emperor. Whoever's, whoever has had the most favor in the court will walk home the victor. I'm so disappointed that you didn't read the quacks that I had secretly embedded in that in that entire description. I I was really hoping you would uh, trip up. I, I I immaculately prepared this 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 you know this this overview of the game, and uh, and and you you made me stumble through it. I stumble through reading anyway all the time. <laughs> Quack. <laughs> so what are you doing with this game? I mean, I don't even know what you're doing. Actually, this week, I genuinely don't know what you're doing. This week, I don't know if it's going into your massive pile of games going away or whether it's a game on your shelf. I think you already said it. I think it is going into the giveaway. Is it going into the giveaway, Jesse? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? So what I know about Jesse is that he likes Euros, but for Jesse to really fall in love with a Euro, the thematic ties of it have to be very strong. And the way that the mechanics work within the game have to also be equally strong, which is why I'm a little bit surprised because I think that he's selling it. Um, which is why I'm a little bit surprised that he's maybe not even considering giving this one a chance because the thematic ties ties in in this particular game and the historical factor is really big. So what you're saying is that he's so tied to thematic ties and he didn't see that in this game. And so he's solving that problem by taking a game that's about gifts and trading 
and giving it away and trading it for subscribers. He's adding the little bit of theme that the game did not have for himself. So he, in theory, is already... Play, like he's played the game in his mind already. He completed no, the ultimate challenge. No, I I have to clarify this. I've played the game on the table. Wow. Oh, what? Yeah. When? I'm I played this at Labyrinth when it first came out. And I I'm I'm giving this one away and I don't I the reason I'm bringing it in <laughs> is cuz I think this is a I think this is a compelling game. I think it does some really interesting things when it comes to uh uh action selection and worker placement. I I think I think it's very interesting, but I wasn't I wasn't charmed by it. Um, I didn't throughout the course of the game. I didn't feel the amount of weight and decision and pressure that I wanted to uh, I wanted to feel. Now, let me clarify the, the thing that Gugong does really interestingly is that you're always weighing your decision based off of what sort of gifts have been laid across the table. So for you to take an action, you're placing down a card of a lower number value or of a higher number value than a card that you're picking back up. Sorry, I think it's the other way around. Again, I've played this a little while ago. Either way, you're placing down a card that is worth more than the card that you're picking up, which means your actions on the next turn in your hand are restricted based off of that, and you're giving other people an opportunity to pick up a lower value or more valuable card. So throughout the course of the game, you have this stack of cards in your hand that have bonus actions, have numbers that enable you to take certain steps across the board, and become kind of the focal point of your strategy. Where can you take your actions? How soon do you need to trade a value in? Or do you want to give a, you know, a number two card for a number nine, which would result in potentially not having a solid action for the rest of the course of the game. There's a big trade-off when it comes to kind of the value and the math in your hand itself. So I'm I'm interested, Jesse, because from what I've known about Gugong, that is actually a fascinating and ingenious mechanic to embed in a Euro. It it almost has it's it's obviously action selection, but also hand management at the same time. And it uh, like a very slight pinch, like a, a little flavoring of deck building in a sort of way, or maybe hand building. It's, um, it's certainly the most interesting part of the game, but on the board itself, thematics are certainly a part of it. None of it tied to me. None of it sang to me, right? But but along with that, I didn't I didn't really find any of the tracks that interesting. The stuff you could do, building the Great Wall, or, or you know, moving up your track to court favor with the crown or trading in some of your some of your tokens for jade and, and higher victory point scoring mechanics. None of them none of them felt like I'd done something crazy. Yeah, I uh, think if that makes sense. I, I think you've convinced me to get rid of my copy. Um and not just you alone, but like while you have this up, as soon as you mentioned it, I obviously pulled it up my screen. I'm going through more and more. And this was a game that I was already on the fence about. I included in a video I did about games that I'm like on the cusp of getting rid of. And Robinson was in that list too. And Robinson made the push over. And Gugong, I'm I, I intrigued by it. I like the premise of what it's trying to do. But I'm just not seeing enough here to convince me. And combined with you getting rid of a game, it's pushing me over. <laughs> well, let, and again, let me clarify, gifting a pile of games because the entertainment factor and the value from doing that is higher than the value of the games that I'm giving away. Uh, that being said, Jan, I I think you might actually like Gugong. I I don't I don't think you're wrong for being intrigued by that hand management in a Euro game. Uh, I think you're I think you're accurate. 
Um, and given that you like other games that are miserable to play, like Barrage, I think Gugong might be one that you're oh my God. that you're genuinely that you would genuinely enjoy. No, so here's the thing. I I understand where you're coming from because. What makes a particular Euro uh, especially enticing is when you can maximize your turn and do something that you've been building up for quite some time, sure. right? It's that idea of build up. And in Gugong, it's not necessarily wrong, but it's all done in incremental steps, right? Every time you take the action, you go uh, up on this track. And once you go up on the trail action, which is the, the top of the board, you take a token and you get a little bonus action. Like, none of it really ever gets to a crescendo where you felt that you've been building towards something powerful. Yeah. And and I don't know, that to me doesn't sound like a Euro that I would keep for you know, over two to three plays, if but, any Euro in my collection ever makes it. But, but I think amount. you would, I think you would probably enjoy those two to three plays. And I don't want to discourage people for, from exploring this. If they don't, if they don't need the thematics, if they like, if they like that integration of mechanics, because I don't think Gugong does it badly. I just think it's not the right game for me. It's not one I'll ever pull off the shelf again. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, this game is is ranked 318 on Board Game Geek, which might sound like it's bad, but it's 318. That's out of a lot of games. This is certainly a reason why it's on your shelf or was on your shelf. It's certainly a reason why I want to play it. In no way should it be a discouraging. I'm just seeing a lot of Euro mechanisms that I have a lot of good Euros and I have a lot of yes. things I always want to play mm-hmm. and... Right now, it's not that I don't want to play it. Just like Robinson, it's just that I don't want to play it enough. Well, and a big thing for me is I I really genuinely like messier games. I like games that give me too much to do and I can't explore all of it and, and promise me maybe something more than I can execute on until I've played five or six times. Now, do I ever get there? Strongly debatable. But things like Robinson Crusoe, I won't get rid of that game even though... I haven't played it in the likelihood as I won't play it very soon. But the promise and the mess that exists there has me fascinated. Gugong I've played. Gugong's very clean. Gugong works in incremental steps and allows you to plan and build a strategy and it just isn't interesting enough for me. Yeah, and I will say the art hmm. in this game is absolutely gorgeous. Nah, I wasn't a fan of it. And the deluxified components make it even better. The deluxified, the deluxified is very nice. Uh, but the core box... I don't know. I thought the art was okay. Well, it's accurate to the time period, and it, I agree with Alex. I think it's very charming. Yeah, just looking at eh. the cards, the cards are colorful. It's, it's got that this cartoony, realistic feel to it that I tend to be a huge fan of. It's, I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. looking yeah. at the, the art, I almost want to keep it, but I will. It's a more traditional Euro in that sense. You're right. It's fine. Well, that with that stunning <laughs> testimonial to Gugong's art I have aside, one more game to get on the table. One second, Sender. Let me no, just you clear don't. the room I for have the giant, seen massive... your giveaway. I know what is on the table. I know what's coming. You neglected <laughs> oh, oh, to mention oh, 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 this title sorry. when you oh, went my through God. the long list of games you're getting rid I, of. I did not mean to push off a few of these orchids uh, as I put this game on the table. I want to apologize both You're so clumsy, to Jesse. the viewer and to both of you. Sender, while 36 was too much, luckily 34 is the perfect amount. I'm, I'm sorry. Let's continue. Settle down. Settle down. It's time for our medley minute. A moment of respite before the rest of our show. So in today's Metly Minute, uh, I think I want to change things up, and I think I want to start today's Metly Minute. 
actually. You, but you so, started, wait, you started the Shelfer Cell at the very beginning. What do you mean change things up? You're just taking control of the whole thing. You introduced the podcast, you started the first segment, now you're starting the third segment? You brought 32 games into the last segment. I think we can let him get away all with right, this one. All right, all right, fine. Jan, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to clean so, this up. So I just recently found out about this, and I think I'm very excited. Remember, Remember my fascination with deck building games? Here's another one. Dune Imperium. You and I both love deck building mm-hmm. games. Dune Imperium. This is by the same people that made Clank. Okay, and Clank is actually one of my big. Fa- I don't. I don't have it anymore. But it was definitely one all of right, my favorite right, right. games. Wait, before. wait, 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 wait. This is not just an expansion to Dune because that's what I thought. Oh it no, was. no, no. This is a completely new game by the creators of Clank, and it is a deck building game by the creators of again. I'm so excited. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. I'm so intrigued. So, so check this out. It's a deck building meets worker placement game in a new galactic struggle from the creators of the award-winning Clank series inspired by the upcoming film from Legendary Entertainment. Direwolf presents the original Dune board game in over 40 years. They, They have a website. It's called plotswithinplots.com I thought that was a reference to the expansion just adding more c- complicated mechanics to <laughs> to the core game Dune which doesn't need any more complicated mechanics No no this is a deck builder it's a completely I, new thing No I I'm genuinely excited about this like the first ever like the first Dune game was made by Gale Force 9 and obviously regardless of uh, like the uh, general consensus it is a really fascinating game um so there is a level to reach here for direwolf do i think they can do it yeah. yes i think they they are definitely they've, capable of doing they've so. improved on they've improved on their deck building systems with every iteration of clank do i feel like they can execute here a hundred percent do you think it'll be like the pinnacle of their designs once it comes I out? Think, Pinnacle's I think Pinnacle's a strong this word. Integration, I don't know about Pinnacle, but I think this integration, the theme combined with the uh, the systems and the mechanics, I am very intrigued because it might be more attractive to me than, than Core Game Clank. So Core Game Clank is actually, interestingly enough, Core Game Clank is something that never really did it for me as much. I thought it was totally fine. I enjoyed it. Didn't love it. I tend to like different kinds of deck builders. I do have Clank Legacy on my shelf. Super excited to give that one a shot. And Dune Imperium is definitely one that I am interested in. So I I also have and have played Clank Legacy. and, And I think, like I said, they've improved with every iteration. And Legacy so far is the best version of a deck building game that they've put out. So I'm very I'm very intrigued by this. That that being said, I did initially think that this was just an expansion for Dune, which paired very nicely with, with what I thought I was bringing in, which is just an expansion for another game that is so unnecessarily big already that I'm not sure it needs an expansion, but do I want it? Oh hell yes. We're talking about the brand new expansion for Twilight Imperium, The Prophecy wow. of Kings. So, what does it add another 40 hours to a single player? Jan, listen to me. This is going to add seven new factions, making it a 24 total uh, faction game that you could pick from. Brings it from a six-player game all the way up to an eight-player potential game. Adds 74 leader cards with unique powers and mechanics. New planets that also have unique explore mechanics and things that you can discover on them. It adds mechs, and it adds individual player 
uh, skills so in that other you words, can implement throughout the course of this game. Is instead of learning from Cephalair Games, who said, we have the best game ever, let's make it more <laughs> <Yes>. accessible. <laughs> Fantasy Flight said, we have the best game ever. Let's make it and less accessible. And our audience will buy more. Absolutely. Uh, but here's here's where I think this is different, though. I don't think there was a swell of people, a swell of new gamers, trying to play Twilight Imperium. Like they were for Gloomhaven, because the promise of Gloomhaven makes it feel like you might be able to do it. I think with this one... I think this is I think this is pitched and sold to the people that either first off love and actually find a way to get people together to play this game or uh like me love the dream and promise that big games big games tell us and just think that maybe when I'm retired and 74 years old I'll have a small little community in a small little uh in a small little town that just want to spend time playing Twilight. Just to be clear, I'm with you on this. I'm with you on that promise. I'm with you on that dream. But you understand that it's been how many years and we're up to Twilight Imperium 4? Why do you think we're going to be up to 4 when you're 74 and retired? It's going to be Twilight Imperium 36. Yeah, you're not wrong. I Let me be, let me be clear. Am I adding this to my collection? I, I don't, unless we're covering it on the channel specifically... Um, I don't think so. I have no capacity, and I don't think I'll I'll have a capacity anytime soon to actually get this game to the table. Um, I have played Ty- Twilight Imperium once, and I ended up leaving that copy with uh with one of my good friends, uh, largely due to the fact that I thought we would be the people who would play together. So I I can I I did my one Twilight Imperium play in my life. I am good. I don't need to revisit this ever again, and much less. With eight players, and with the addition of those factions, this is starting to sound like a Cosmic Encounters type of situation, where they're just adding so, but, so, so And much. on a final note, before we, we cycle over to uh, to Mr. Third here, I I have to say, I am the target audience for this, and if I can find a good way to bring it to the channel... I will absolutely do so. Fantasy Flight, um, if you're I loved, listening to this, all I heard was send Quackalope a copy of Twilight Imperium 4, listen, Prophecy of Kings. <laughs> I I loved my experience with Twilight Imperium, and if I could find a way to have a consistent gaming group that would actually table it with me, I would love to play it more. My only reservation is the fact that I do not think it is currently realistic or accessible for me. That being said, Sender, what did you bring in? The complete opposite of what you just said. I'm bringing in Flourish, <laughs> which is a game by the creators of Evidel by Starling Games, featuring some of the mm. artists of Evidel, and it is a beautiful card-drafting, garden-building game in which players plan and build the Garden of the Dreams over the course of the growing season. With delightful imagery, players plan their gardens throughout the game to collect the most points. All I heard and I'm already going to buy this, I don't even care, is Creators of Evidel yeah. and Drafting. Evidel is one of my favorite games, and Drafting is my favorite mechanic bar I'm, none. I've already went over this. Flavor Text is easily my favorite mechanic, and I'm not a big Drafting fan, if I'm going to be honest. I enjoy it, but I don't seek it out. And in addition to that, I don't think that this art is either better or equivalent no, to Evidel. No, I don't. Not even so close. It's not aesthetically, it's nowhere close. I disagree entirely. I, I recognize where you're coming <gasps> from. I do. I think if you look at the box cover at a glance, I initially get that impression. Oh, no. But I pause. saw the components. Oh, you saw the components? I didn't even see the components. Where are the components? Yeah. Oh, they're they're there. They're, they've already shared a little bit of it. 
Uh, oh, I've I have seen not player seen boards. I've seen a few of the cards and I've seen the box. It's beautiful. So I will go back to my point because I want to finish my point, even though you have outplayed me. But the <laughs> box, when you're done looking at it at an abstract view and you look a little closer, and you pay attention to the art just for a second longer, I think it's gorgeous. And the components, I have no idea. Now, all that being said, do do I want this? Oh, you better believe it. Of course I of course I do. I love Everdell. And I'm I'm going to follow up with whatever beautiful thing they're bringing to the table. I just don't think it's going to top some other things for me. Well, and and, th- and this is a lighter game as well. This is not in the same level of complexity. Yes. You can even play this up to 7 people. So definitely not in the same scheme what's, as Everdell. What is your sense sender of those drafting mechanics? Like what's going on here in this game? I have no idea. I mean, all I know is it's got drafting. <laughs> I didn't have to look into it further. And you had me sold at Everdell and drafting. I was in. That has been a medley minute. So I've taken the spotlight the majority of the day today. I've been the lead. I mean, you're kind of you're kind of doing it again. To be fair, I was going Sender, to give it to you. No, that's all right. Let's let Sender have a moment to introduce a segment. Sender, what's going on here? What segment is this? And and can you please just bring in your game? Because Jan, just uh, you know, what I I like the attention, Jesse. Leave me alone. I know, my friend. This is the game. This this segment is. On the radar, where we talk about games that are up and coming, available, that we can get our hands on, that are just games that we want to play, that we want to get or possibly possibly have a conversation so that the rest of us can talk about whether we should or shouldn't Brand get Brand new Kickstarters or things that just got into our library. Exactly. And for this week, what I am bringing in is a game called Quattle. And I don't know if I'm passing that correctly at all. But it's a game where this is an abstract game similar to I want to compare it most commonly to a combination of Reef and Azul. It is a game where you are building colorful snakes and you are using pattern recognition pattern cards to build out these patterns that you're going to be scoring points. Each card you take has a pattern that you might be able to achieve it once or multiple times. And then as you acquire more cards and as you acquire more tiles or pieces that will fit into your snake, you you start presenting with a puzzle that gets increasingly more complicated as you juggle multiple things in your head all at the same time it is beautiful it is mean it is cutthroat it is a game that is simultaneously super pretty and engaging but also has a lot going on behind the scenes Coato looks interesting to me i and i think it's interesting you've brought this one up i've seen this one physically in person i think both of you have played it on tts and i think your comparison is really accurate when it comes to the audience that should be paying attention to this reef and azul uh for two reasons. First off, the puzzle that you're solving is going to scratch a very similar itch to both of those games. Pattern recognition, uh, color matching, and deciding how you want to gather or equip things on your board to solve whatever cards you have, right? But the next thing is going to be the toy factor. The degree of toy in this game is just, it's tactical. It feels good. Things link and lock together. You have this wriggly little, like, malleable snake that you're playing with by the time that you're uh, you're done building and constructing this game set. Uh, well, that was a word. This game sequence. And so I think that's a key part, because while I think Azul and Reef are both phenomenally well-produced games, I think Coato puts those two to shame. It is... Like you said, this is a game that my kids will want to play just Whoa. because they will. Whoa. Those are big Whoa. words. Did you just say, wait, 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 I'll give you Reef. 
I'll give you Reef any day of the week. Azul has you think gorgeous, it puts Azul to shame? It has gorgeous tiles. It does. Azul is a beautifully produced game. But the, the fact that you are picking up these pieces of snakes and combining them is a whole different level. There's a tactile feel to that that is engaging both for children as well as for adults that I just don't think Azul can match. And and here's the interesting thing. Azul was definitely much more in the abstract side, right? Where we're, it, it was more approachable. It didn't have that toy factor at all. Then Koal comes in and it does have the toy factor, but it feels deeper than Azul. It feels more complicated. It feels complexer and richer and with more decision space that I could ever have imagined in an Azul-like game. Um, when that description, as Jesse said, is perfect. I never played Reef, so for me... Uh, my descript- my combination was Azul and Point Salad, because in Kowalt, what makes it really, really unique is that you get to choose how you score your colors. You get to choose how you build out your snake, and you get to decide what type of snakes you want to build in every turn. As, as you mentioned, Sender, the drafting in this is so brutal because you're not just drafting the pieces that go on your snake like most of these games do. You also have a separate draft for cards in order to score. So you have to pay so much attention to what everyone else is doing that I think I really feel that it completely breaks out of this notion of multiplayer solitaire that most of these set collection drafting games have done so in the past. And again, I just find it fascinating that it that the toy factor of this is so huge and honestly... I think that the toy factor is going to be a huge deterrent for people that would genuinely enjoy this, but that tend to like heavier games. That's exactly what I was going to say. The point that I wanted to bring up when contrasting this with Azul, I think the toy factor is equal in terms of childlike and how it looks to Reef. I think the mechanics are are fascinating when you pair them together with Point Salad and Azul. I think your descriptions are, are right on point. But I think while the toy factor is a strong play for maybe mass market and certainly children and and gamers that are a little bit more fun, I think people felt like they were playing something heavier with Azul than it was. And I think that veneer, that, I think, I think that is hard for this to actually match or or at least exceed. So I'll, I'll half give you that. And I'll say the one thing, the one area and the only area in which I prefer Azul to this, granted based on a single play, but the one area is I think Azul had a higher screwage factor. Azul at two players is an intensely screwage game where you force your opponent to take the tiles that aren't good for them. And I love that. And while there's a little bit of that in this, I don't think it's as high. But to address your points... I agree with you in terms of that would be the kind of thing that makes it slightly harder to to get this game going, to get this game moving. But this game doesn't have this game already has a has enough of a buzz, enough of a hype that that will be picked up. People will go past that. If you're talking about initial adoption, sure. If we're talking about down the road where the people say this is a game you should be playing, I think this will have that buzz. So here's the thing. I don't agree with that because the way that Azul blew up was it was so perfect on the shelf that people just immediately picked it up. 
the 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 word of mouth definitely helped, but it just had presence in in the FLGS, and I don't think that the cover for Koalt will help it in the future for people that are looking for that for actually the weight of game that Koalt is, which is ironic. And another thing that I wanted to mention before we can move on to something else, um, I do I, I I also disagree with the screwage factor. I think it's it. it even higher here, because not only can you screw people up in your draft, you can also screw screw them in the way that they score points. So you have two venues of completely destroying a player's turn if you decided to be a horrible, horrible human being. So with with all that being said, uh, Jesse, do you mind if I go next, or do you or do you want to leave me for last? No, that's fine. I I'm excited about mine, but I'm I'm interested in what you're bringing in. I'm curious what's on your radar because. There wasn't a lot that came out this week. That's correct. There wasn't a lot, but there is a lot coming in, and I am so excited about this one. I actually learned about it just today, and that is Primal by Reggie Games. So Primal nowhere near out. Yeah, I know. It's on the radar. It's things that happen to be on our radar. That's not how this segment works at all. Says who? We are the creators of this segment. not even... Yes, no. and two of us are saying that's not even close. No, 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 no. The okay. radar has to be a game that's available that you can get your hands on. Or no, it, it's the radar. It's what's upcoming. It's what's happening around you, and that you get excited you about. In, you brought in a medley minute section for on the radar. Okay, let's when let me make Primal a very available? important distinction. Let me make a very important distinction before I say when it's available because I have no idea when it is. Uh, medley minute is about news and games that we don't have enough information to actually okay. have Let- tangible conversations around i hear the point you're making let's just rewind a few frames back sender what did you hear jan say he doesn't know when it's coming out no idea when it's coming in jan i'll i'll give you this one go ahead and talk about primal but just for the record that that's not what this is it's literally on my radar anyways primal got a weird radar primal the awakening is if you realize jan let me just specify radars like beaming down into the bottom of the ocean literally hit things that exist and then bounce back so that you can map out and see the surface or the uh topography of something that that is there okay jesse you're being on your radar no i'm i'm just clarifying because from a cognitive standpoint if this is a dot in my brain that i am paying attention to it is literally on my cognitive radar so yeah, if we're going to play saying, that you game, can rename the segment if you want on the cognitive radar. It does have yeah, a nice I mean to it. On the cognitive radar, that's the segment for this week's episode, but we'll try to get back to normal next time. I, Jan, continue. I hate both of you. Primal the Awakening is a fully cooperative monster hunting miniature board game for one to four players. The game is played in two main variants. We can either do a campaign mode or a hunt mode. In the campaign mode, you'll go through a series of branching paths, while the hunt mode is all about one-shot scenarios. The game itself is going to be centered around a boss fight system, so very Kingdom Death-like, but it combines tactical positioning on a board with hand management and cooperative play. Monsters are going to be unique, same as Kingdom Death, with specific deck of cards which represent their behaviors and people have to adapt to that. And like its two main inspiration, it features crafting and customization which will expand as the campaign progresses depending on the specific monsters you slay. Why I'm so excited about this, and I apparently broke the rules of the segment, is that this is bringing in two of my very favorite things. Although I don't own it, Jesse, I do love Kingdom Death. And 
one of my favorite video game franchises ever is Monster Hunter. And this is the marriage of both of those IPs, I'm, and I'm so pumped. I'm so I, I'm so tired of all these miniature games that just advertise themselves by being, I'm Kingdom Death, but I tried to do it better. No, no, this looks like a clear Kingdom Death killer to me. I mean, at a glance, I don't know all that much no. about this game, but like everything I'm seeing I mean, here just screams Kingdom Death is not that great. Does it look? <laughs> does it look? Does it look like a fantastic implementation of like Monster Hunter? Am, am I intrigued and excited about this game? Let Let me be clear. Absolutely. But there's been like seven or eight titles that have came out in the past few years in the lull of Kingdom Death that have just everyone's immediate comparison is, oh, this is going to this is going to destroy the the Kingdom Death franchise. So, so Jesse, you're right. Knockoffs never really. I mean, like Gloomhaven got stuck because Gloomhaven just people thought of it as like, oh, it's a descent killer. So it just got stuck. Didn't really make its way up the rankings at all. Oh, wait, no. Gloomhaven's the number one game of all time. That's right. Look, look, look. I hear look. what you're saying. Look, I'm just here's the thing. Here's the thing, Jesse. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna be very clear with you, and I think this is the biggest praise that I've ever given Kingdom Death. Kingdom Death became a genre. I think we have to stop coming up with like okay. comparisons sure. and just establish that Kingdom Death is this a is whole in- chapter in board gaming this game this game is a new venture in the genre of kingdom no, no, Death. No, i'm much more comfortable with that i think you're right though i think it reinvented both how designers look at and how audiences and markets react to things like this but my problem is we have Oathsworn. what's yeah. that other one we have uh, uh and's uh, and's trespass it. odyssey Aeon's Trespass, and then we have this one, all of which are promising to innovate or twist or change or do something. Like, and it's not the marketing from the company itself, but the audience is like, this is the $100 version of Kingdom Death we're waiting for. It's all good. You can and keep maybe, your Nokia. I'll, I'll take don't... my Pixel 3. <laughs> Look, I will give you that, Jesse. That is 100% true. There, the, the artwork in this game is reminiscent of Kingdom Death. The minis in this it game is. give you that feeling of Kingdom Death. You're 100% right. However, the thing that makes me interested in this one, it's that it's much more simplified. It's not Kingdom Death. Well, there is definitely a lot of Kingdom you, Death elements here. But I'd like Do you the have idea to assemble the minis? I'm not sure I don't think so. Then it wins. No, you don't. Then it wins. Yeah. <laughs> look I, but i think that's i think that's the mistake that a lot of a lot of these groups are making will there be people that are going to love and be passionate about this game yes but one of the reasons why this will not even encroach on what kingdom death is is because it's just not it's just not in the same battle at all it, it's part of the genre exactly it's not the game exactly it doesn't have to that's the point like in this one what makes me excited is the idea that it's a tactical deck building or deck or hand management game i've said this so you many don't even times know what this game is no 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 stumbling I, across words no 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 i no know 100 when it's so, actually arriving there is a board that's comprised of four major four to five major areas where the monster is represented in the center this is not a game that has a large board where you're trying to tactfully uh, position your units in a grid space it's all done through sectors those sectors will have different types of components that will impede the type of things you can do in that sector but still you have elements of flanking and you have elements of maybe going behind and trying to find a monster's weak spot but it's all very much abstracted which i actually welcome in this particular game the crux here is going to be intelligent card play because this overall sort of is technically a deck builder 
which I which I've said so many times in the past, sender, what is that thing I'm looking for? A deck builder that adds something additional to it, especially movement. This is actually a deck builder? Yes. Sort of. I'm even sort of. It's a pseudo deck and builder. I'm I'm right on your side with this, Jan. I think both of us agree that deck building mechanics are are some of our favorite across the board. Other, of course, than flavor text. That being said, <laughs> and just from looking at this. From what I've seen out of uh, uh, Oathsworn and what's that other one, Sender, that I keep Aeon's forgetting? Aeon's Trespass. Trespass Odyssey. Yeah, whatever whatever that one is. I certainly hope I get a copy. Uh, out <laughs> of- oh, I reached out to the creators of Primal with Awakening actually just this day, just the other day. They, they were already corresponding yeah. back and forth to see whether there's anything we can What? Do. We did too. So out of what I've seen... I think this one looks like the most promising implementation of what I loved in the in the Monster Hunter video games. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons you're so sweet on it. Yeah, no, it's it's abstracted and I think that's a smart move, honestly. I like I I'm also super tired of copycats from Kingdom Death. Anne's Trespass to me is the most blatant of the copycats, which is fine. I actually really yeah. like the idea of Anne's Trespass, but it is 100% a copy of Kingdom Death. But I don't Death. I don't need a, I don't need a smaller side brother to Kingdom Death. Like I'm really interested in covering it because I want it to be I want it to be good, but if it's not I want to be able to compare it to to what it doesn't do in in comparison to Kingdom Death. Like I want to have an honest conversation about that, so I will I will hands down be seeking out and so many of the community have been asking me. But here I I'm really Despite all my spite, I'm really compelled by this one. So Primal sounds good. We're all interested. It will clearly defeat Kingdom Death Monster. That being said, before you can respond to that, Jesse, what are you bringing to the table? What is on your radar? I'm uh, I'm bringing in a Kickstarter that launched today that is already two years out from delivering to its consumers. Now, if that sounds like a negative, I, I don't think it is. I mean, you might not get a chance at getting this thing for four, possibly five years down Wait, the road. Wait, Kingdom Death did another campaign? I hear what you're saying, Jan. <laughs> no, instead, the uh, where, where Kingdom Death is the holy grail of board games, this is the holy grail of board game accessories. Ooh. I'm talking about Wormwood's brand new Kickstarter that launched today. Yes, I'm so excited about this one too. This thing is killing it. It's like over four and a half million already. It's day one. Day one. Day one. Over four and a half million, and like I said, because I was looking at it, for your base pledge, you're already going to be locked into delivery in, I believe, mid to late 2021, and there's only maybe 11 slots left on that. Then we're rolling over into early 2022, and on, and so on, and so forth. I'm heartbroken. I think I got August. Did you sign up for it? Did you seriously? Yes, a hundred percent. I'm totally getting. Do I you don't... know how how Do you know how much money people save when we, when they use the uh, wormwood dice towers? All oh, so much. Like if you don't get on this right now, you will regret it for the rest of your life. I, I hear what you're saying, and I'll I'll be honest. I if I was at a different point in my life, if I if I wasn't mid transition, mid work, tr- you know, going quackalope full time. Uh, I would, I would have probably locked into this campaign. Um, I'm not, I can't, I can't afford it, even though it promises a $300 base pledge. Um, and, and while that is intriguing, uh, I, I can't, I can't do it because it, it ends up scaling to the point where you're going to be locked into 1.5, 2, and if you get yeah. more expensive wood based, like, than just the base maple, 
I mean, you're going way higher. It mm-hmm. gets pretty expensive pretty quickly. Let me be clear about this. I Wormwood is a grail table for me. I hope one day when I have my own place, my own house, my gaming room with like a bookshelf with ladders up to the ceiling because I never get rid of games, I hope that in the center of that, a Wormwood table can be a, a custom built, a special thing that I've dedicated space to. But that's like a 30 year plan. This is really interesting. This is the most affordable, most accessible, and most modular table they've ever introduced. And I think potentially has ever been introduced into the board game space, unless you're looking at game toppers, which converts your uh, regular table into a gaming table thing, which is a solution, but maybe not what a lot of people are looking for. Uh, here in this case, this is this is very intriguing, but uh, man, does it get pricey so yeah. quickly. So So, I've always been a huge advocate of game tables. I've talked this in the past. I think it makes gaming more accessible, which is, I mean, to a certain extent, you almost can't put a price on that, assuming you're actually trying to play your games. Uh, For myself, I'm just not on the market for this. I I already have a game table by Geek Chic, not Geek Chic, by um, Uniquely Geek. I have a game table from them. I really like it. Warmwood does look great. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I'm just not currently in the market. But I do think people should look for a game table. So Radcliffe, let's talk about your Radcliffe. You, between you and Jet, between all of us, you are the most well-versed about gaming tables. Obviously, you have one. You All right, one. all right, all right. Let me be specific. I am a very, very loyal Wormling. I watch every single one of their Wormling episodes, their Worm Life episodes that they put out. This is the in-group for, for Wormwood and all of their products. So I know the ins and outs of this Kickstarter campaign. I've been following along for months, even was signed up for the 15-minute head start. I can't do it, though. But that being said, Sender, you have the most experience. Yeah, I'm mostly talking about pricing, by the way. So pricing-wise, I can't really tell you all that much because I signed up for the 15-minute head start as well. I briefly looked into this, but because I'm not in the market and because I'm trying to respond to about... 3,700 more quacks on my YouTube comments. I just didn't have the time <laughs> to dive into this to the degree I would have liked. So I, t- I quickly went through the price thing. Yeah, I quickly did, but I don't feel confident enough in what this looks like to be able to give a price comparison to any other table. I will say at a glance, it seemed like a good price, but I didn't really dive into it. So let me set this up, and this will be the last thing I say on it, and then you know we'll we'll move on to some comment sections and stuff like that. I wanted to bring it in because it's intriguing, and I'm fascinated that you got it, Jan. But here's here's what they've done. This is not their custom-built table, right? They've actually uh, purchased a brand-new factory, a, a, a brand-new uh, manufacturing group in order to produce these. These are modular, these are accessible, and these are supposed to scale with a middle-income consumer base, right? These are not the $12,000 full hardwood tables that they send out. Instead, these are designed to be manufactured at a large scale very quickly and uh, and designed for you to start with a coffee table-sized table and buy upgrade quick kits as you go. The reason this gets so expensive, and the interesting thing they've done with the marketing, which hats off to them to be fair, but they've encouraged people to buy the type of wood they think they want to grow with. So if the maple is more affordable to me, maybe I buy the $300 Lilliput maple table, the very base, right? And I get no add-ons for it at all. I assume that might be what you've gone for. But here's the thing. If you invest in the espresso maple, the cherry, the black walnut, the paddock, the wenge, or the purple heart, 
your price is going to scale dramatically all the way up to where that base coffee table for the Lilliput is $1,500 at the most expensive. Then you can buy upgrade packs as your living environment changes. So you can scale up to a medium, a coffee, a large. You can even make the legs bigger and smaller. Everything is designed to be broken apart and reattached together. And then on top of that, the other key, the selling point for them that's going to make them money for years to come is that they're never, they're never going to outdate these tables. Their magnetic railings and every single accoutrement that they design will fit into these. So this is designed to be a table that never leaves your collection. But from a marketing standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, and this doesn't have to be a negative. Let me be clear. I think I think good marketing and good consumer awareness uh, can also can also be positive for the buyer. But if you buy into one of these tables, you're going to be spending 90, 100, couple hundred a piece on some of these upgrades, some of these little trays that slot into the side, some of these little boards and, and dividers that pop into the middle, the topper that goes on the top and any other designs they make, you're going to be locked into this table and you're going to be locked into paying whatever they ask for their highly produced and, and incredibly well-designed modularity. Um, it is the best in the business, but it is also easily something that without looking, without even thinking about it, you can spend, you can still spend two to $6,000 on this table before you've even realized that you've typed in your credit card information. That's what I'm terrified about. Uh, I, actually, Jesse, you're, you're a little bit wrong. I'm not going with the small lily put. I was hoping to actually get a medium or a large table. What kind of wood? Oh, just the probably the dark one right after maple. The espresso maple. So yeah. at the espresso maple, you're looking at a small at 600, a medium at 750. Now remember, both of those can scale. But here's the thing you don't know: the topper, the topper is going to be an additional topper is going to be an additional three to four hundred. So you're already looking at about a thousand dollar price tag for that table to be a dining table, not just a game table. And then if you want any of the modularity guarantee yourself about the way I math it out is about a hundred dollars per extra that I'm adding. So if I want three drink holders, if I want a insert for the middle, uh, if I want a charging station, if I want, uh, something that allows me to kind of put my, my dice in each one of those should probably add about a hundred dollars to your total purchase price. Yeah. I can say Stop I just put it. together a, a large dining room table and it looks like you're looking at between 2000 and 2500 assuming you're not really holding back, but also not going all out. That seems to be the range, which, by the way, I think is a good price. I think it's a, I think it's a fair price for, and, and again, I am not begrudging the quality of work they do. I think, I think every cent, I think you'll get every cent of your money back. But I think this is, I think the marketing here is, ingenious because it not only tricks people into thinking this is way more accessible and inviting than it is and you'll spend more because of that but it also ties you to the company for perpetual you know perpetually now is that a negative debatable and and i think largely no because i really like the company but it's it is a thing and so with all that being said, and you really, really trying your hardest to make me drop my pledge so that hey, you can grab it from it me, it sounds Jesse. like a it's uh, not going to work. Like a February time slot's going to open up sometime soon. No, it's not going to work. 
Let's go ahead and read some comments, which we have a few today. Yeah, and here's the exciting thing. This podcast is fairly new. This will actually be the first episode that gets a strong push from both of our channels. We wanted to live in it for a little while before we invited everyone to show up. But that being said, we do have a website where we want to engage with you. If you agreed with us, disagreed with us, just want to say you love the duck uh, the duck facts throughout the episode, or make fun of the fact that Sender cannot, for some reason, respond to 4,000 quacks, uh, please go to theweeklyquack.com. You can see timestamps there. You can see all the new information we have popping up, including some links and descriptions. But you can also, more importantly, engage in a conversation with us. And finally, the last thing that I want to point out, both for Sender, for Quackalope, and for Board Game Co., this podcast is entirely made possible by our Patreon supporters. Uh, this is something that we love to do and we dedicate time to, but we're doing extra episodes and bonus content and investing in this little kind of in-house community we have. If you enjoy this content and you want to see it keep happening, please support at least one of us. It uh, doesn't have to be both. You can choose your favorite, but, you know, we'll complain either way. That being said, let's go ahead and swing into the comments. And guys, I uh, I actually have a comment that's on our website I was just talking about here. So if you don't mind me bringing that in. Very exciting. This is going to be from James. And he says, hey, guys, first, I think you make an awesome trio. Debatable, James. Certainly debatable. There's a nice balance of humor <laughs> with great game information. Also debatable. Sorry, Alex. I do appreciate the weekly quack fact. And while the last weeks I was aware of, <sighs> I too had heard that duck quacks had no echo and had no reason to doubt it until now. So thank you, Jesse. And I just want to say, James, you're certainly welcome. I've uh, he always also liked James, but oh my God. James, James, man, we have to talk. Let me really push. Let me keep it, huh? going. Let me keep because I'm excited about this next part. Hey Jesse, oh, my gosh. quack fact or unquack fact for you is: in Florida, we have a oh, no, whistling no. duck, which instead of an actual quack, emits a whistling sound. Seriously, this is the first podcast I've listened to for more than one transmission. And then let me get to some of the grit, and I'll have you guys discuss it. Okay, down here at the bottom. Did we just go through two foul oh, moments? Buddy, Courtesy of we're James. We're gonna have so many Courtesy more. Courtesy of James. So many more in the future. Oh God! It's a comment. I have oh. to engage with it, Jan. It's what we've committed to. That's why I didn't stop so, you. So, Sender and Jan. He also says. Uh, Petricor is also a heavy, heavily on my radar. I do wish there was more current videos out for the game. Uh, he also finds it a bit sad that you're so down on Stonemeyer games. Wingspan is one of the favorite games in his game group. Yes, he prefers Everdell, but the group's biggest complaint is that in Everdell, some of the cards are so difficult to read with a small text and that tiny print. Uh, and then finally, he sa says thank you again. Thoughts on that? Sure. So I'll, I'll touch briefly on both of those. So first of all, Petricor, uh, there have been a few more gameplay videos coming out recently. I know Before You Play did one. I know Rado did one. So definitely check that out. There is more content out that for that game. Definitely look into it. As far as Wingspan, I don't think we actually disagree all that much. I think Wingspan is a totally acceptable game. And yes, I too prefer Evidel. Um, ultimately, joking aside, I, I think Stonemaier games are great. I haven't had one that clicked with me to the degree I want, but I will say Wingspan is the first one that I got back. I got I got it. I preferred Avidel. I got rid of it, but I have got it back, hoping to see more of the promise. So so who knows, James? Maybe maybe in a few weeks we'll be talking about Wingspan, and I'll actually be shelving it in the shelf or sell segment. And James, I'll I'll go ahead and add this. Um, it's not necessarily 
that we we are we have a big gripe with Wingspan because as Sender already eloquently explained, Wingspan as a game is is pretty wonderful. I feel that at least for me personally, my my problem with Wingspan and the reason why I'm always so annoyed when it comes into the conversation is because we've talked about it enough. The industry has talked about Wingspan enough. It is time to give space to other amazing titles that deserve the limelight as well. And Wingspan I just feel sometimes just hogs everything. And that is mainly because of Stonemeyer's incredible capacity for marketing. And and ja- Jamie, Jamie is is fascinating. The, the mind that that man has in order to sell his games is astonishing. But it's gotten to the point where I'm just tired. Every time that something comes out, I feel it's taking away attention from something else. And the last thing I'll add is that in response to your Petrichor, Quackalope might might be covering it sooner than you think. And just one last thing to add there, Jan, because of course, I I totally agree with you. Wingspan's been covered plenty, plenty by the industry, which is why Quackalope's brand new segment, Confirmation Bias, is currently working on a full review of of Wingspan. (laughs) Yeah, good, good, good notes. That that being said, Jan, do you have any comments that you've brought in yourself? Not a comment, but a feel-good review that I just had to share with you guys in case you hadn't heard it. I like feel-good reviews. Loa Production says, I'm laughing already. Okay, guys, while I do know one of the hosts I have to say, I'm two episodes in and I'm seriously laughing along with these guys like I'm there. Cheers, fellas. Great stuff. Just warms my heart. I have to say, our request, however, was five stars on iTunes with a comment about things that you don't like about the show down there in the description. So I'd love, I'd love for the next episode to have at least one of those to bring in. That being said, I have one last thing I want to present. And Sender, I believe this one was uh, was posted just for you. It's it's on our website. It's from Natanel. And I do notice it doesn't have a response to it. Natanel says, hmm, quack. This latest failed attempt at bringing you quality entertainment was brought to you by the Quackalope Podcast. We love to hear from you, so don't forget to leave a review and subscribe. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on any of our social channels or visit our website. But regardless of what you do, remember to do the important thing. Get out and play some games. Until next time.